This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. I have no co-host today with me. We've actually moved our recording day for what we would call maybe in the brokerage industry in New York City a legend. We have Bob Knackle on the show today. So anyone who follows social media or follows commercial real estate down south, especially in New York City, Bob Knackle has about 40 years in the business, built a massive commercial real estate firm, and then sold it to one of the bigger box brokerages down there. And now he's currently with JLL, runs heads up their capital, global capital markets team. Before that, he spent some time at uh, CB, it sounds like. So we're, we're so excited to have Bob Knack on the show today with New York kind of being like an epicenter for commercial real estate here in North America and also the world. We're very interested to hear what does the office market look like? What are the vacancy rates? I also get in and I also ask him, what type of lease rates are people paying? I think a lot of people will be very surprised to hear what lease rates look like for prime New York retail. And also he touches base on Chanel, which obviously purchased their space, uh, which they refer to as a retail condo. Us, up here, we refer to them as retail stratolots, for lack of better words. It's staggering how much per foot they paid. So it's a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. We're thrilled to have Bob on the show. We've been trying to get him on for a long, long time. We got the opportunity to have them today. We've had to move our podcast recording date. So Matt and Adam are probably pretending that they're busy. They probably just didn't want to hang out. So you, it's just me today, but we're thrilled to have Bob. So without further ado, let's get to our interview today with Bob Knackle of JLL, head of the Global Capital Markets team. Enjoy. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. All right, we're here today with Bob Knackle, head of JLL's private capital group in New York City. Bob, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Corey. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Well, Bob, I, I'm very excited to have you. As I said before we hit record here, we've been following you on social media and you've just done a tremendous amount of business. And obviously in commercial real estate, New York feels like kind of like the epicenter of commercial real estate in North America. Bob, before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you became like what we'll call, I'm going to use the word legend, in the commercial real estate brokerage industry down there in New York? Well, thanks. Yeah, you know, it uh, got here one deal at a time. 
How about that? That's uh, that's good. You know, I've good been way doing to start. it for forty years. I, I started in the business. You know, got into real estate completely by accident. I wanted to be an investment banker. I was a freshman at the Wharton School and wanted to work on Wall Street like every other Wharton kid, but could only get a summer job uh, that looked good. Uh, that, that I only could get a summer job that was in real estate because the investment banks weren't hiring. I walked into a Coldwell Banker office thinking it was a bank. And sure enough, uh, they offered me a job, took it, loved it, went back my next two summers, started with Coldwell Banker in New York when I got out of school. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, so they say. But I met my business partner, Paul Massey, there uh, at CB. We were there for four years, started our own firm in uh, November of 1988, uh, started with just the two of us and a secretary. By 2014, we had 250 people in three offices, according to CoStar over that period from 2001 to 2014. The number two firm in New York in terms of building sales had done about 1,300 deals. We did over 4,000. So wow. we lapped the field by more than three times. We had a, uh, a culture that uh, revolved around empowering people, servant leadership, training, very, very intensive training. And uh, we sold the business in 2014 to Cushman and Wakefield for $100 million. I was at Cushman for three and a half years. I've been at JLL for five years now. And probably one of the legacy things that I'm most proud of is that today in the New York City investment sales world, there are 29 companies or divisions of companies that are either owned by or run by people who learn the business at Massey Knackle. So it's, wow. uh, it's Unbelievable. quite a legacy in New York. And uh, so that's, and I'm here uh, just, you know, every day making cold calls and trying to sell buildings just like I, I did 40 years ago. So what, what does that tell you when one of the kings of the real estate realm with a history such as yours is still making those calls and still shows up every day. If that doesn't teach the next generation of what it takes to be successful, nothing will. Yeah, I always, I, I always say it that real estate brokerage from a building sales perspective is a very simple business. It's just very hard. There's a lot of very mundane, fundamental things that have to be done, but having the discipline to do them is what really makes the difference. And you have to do them day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. And then, you know, good things will happen if you keep disciplined and keep doing the right things. No kidding. Eh? No kidding. That That's a story that, like I said, the next generation needs to listen to. Because like I said, when the people in the, in the, the higher echelons of companies and industries are still getting up every day, doing the same thing that they did 40 years ago and leading by example shows the next generation what it takes, especially in this industry. To pull itself together, I, I'm I'm excited to get in it with you, Akira, because obviously, like I said at the start, New York City is kind of the what feels to be the epicenter of commercial real estate in North America. Some days, how is the real estate market in New York? Obviously, we read office buildings are empty, and you read all the headlines and stuff like that. But really, for someone like yourself, who's on top of the heap in your industry, but still has boots on the ground, what is happening in the New York City real estate market, commercial wise? Yeah, it is definitely a challenging market. You know, the interest rate increases that have happened so quickly and to such a large magnitude have created a lot of issues in the marketplace. Fundamentals are moving all over. You know, we have through the first three quarters of this year, the market's on pace to be uh, down about 
52% in terms of dollar volume of sales and down 37% in terms of the number of properties sold, you know, from last year. And those numbers will be down uh, both in the, in the seventies relative to the peak of the cycle. Um, yeah. So it, it did go to 40,000 feet. And just to give you some history on how we've progressed or degressed, I guess, if that's a word, you know, the peak of the market cycle here clearly was in 2014 and 2015. In 2014, we had 5,534 buildings sell in New York City. That was an all-time record by more than 10%. And then wow. in 2015, we had 80.1 billion of sales volume, which was also an all-time record. We noticed that the market really started to correct in October of 2015. And from October of 2015 through February of 2020, the volume of sales, dollar volume had dropped 56%. Number of properties sold dropped 54%. Value was only down about 12%. And COVID came along in March of 2020, converted this mostly volume correction into a value correction. Uh, value bottomed out in 2020. There was an inflection point at the beginning of April of 2021, where all the residential residential property reports came out showing that there was upward pressure on residential rents for the first time in years. Condo sale absorption was very positive. And all of a sudden, there were 13 private equity firms that called me within a three-day period saying, hey, we want to get back into the market. We've been on the sidelines. Who's building? Who's buying? Who can we invest with? And the market really picked up. And we, we were coming out of this you know, the second half of 21 and the first half of 2022 were really good. Uh, I thought we were out of the correction, but then the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates in March. It started to tangibly impact the real estate market in August or September of 22. And that, that started to exert downward pressure on pricing. And we're, we're either in the, the second phase of a, a big long correction that started in October of 15, or we're in a, a second correction now that that uh, started in the second half of 2022 but times are challenging and refinance risk is a huge issue for the market because uh, it's nearly impossible to get the same financing proceeds that you you got previously um, with yeah. rates being so much higher today than they were before so it's a challenging market we're still making deals uh, you know it hasn't gone to zero but yep. every every transaction is very very challenging you have to work twice as hard. And uh, that's just uh, symptomatic of what happens when you get into this part of the cycle. Wow. Wow. What's so, that's obviously, uh, you know, high level information from someone in your shoes that has seen this cycle or cycles probably in your time. Where do you think we go from here? Like, obviously, I mean, we're coming out of, you know, interest rates, obviously, you know, up here, at least we're up about 800% since January, 2022. Where the Bank of Canada's wow. BOC rate right now is about sitting at five with it. So it kind of pushes a lot of our, our Schedule One banks up here, prime rate to probably seven and a half, give or take, with it. Where do things go from here? Obviously, you may, I, I want to say interest rates probably can't get any worse. Hopefully not. If interest rates start coming down, do you foresee a, a waterfall cascade effect of money on the sidelines coming back into it where people have just been looking for sort of, you know, forecasting rates or not so much? banking on them going down too fast, but now I know where we peaked. If I can pencil now, it's only going to get better. What happens over the next two years? 
Yeah, Corey, I think that, you know, when you go through any cycle, what happens is when something happens in the market to exert downward pressure on value, you have a period of stagnation where value falls, comparable sale value deviates from real value. Uh, And what I mean by that is that, you know, most folks are in tune with the fact that real value is down. If they are trying to buy properties, they're offering real value. People who are not in tune with that may be offering yesterday's price and the sellers who can get yesterday's price transact. So comp sale value looks like it's going up, but most of the market knows that's not the real value anymore. And so transaction volumes drop and that's exactly what we're seeing now. And then you get into this period where the new reality has to set in and sellers have to get acclimated to the new reality. And then what you need to clear the market out is you need to enter what we call the capitulation phase, where sellers who have pent up demand to sell or non-discretionary sellers have to move. And even some discretionary sellers say, hey, it's not going to get better anytime soon. Uh, I have to pull the trigger. And then you start to see transaction volume pick up. That's what we need. We need to, we need pricing to reset in a number of sectors. Pricing is resetting. It needs to stabilize. Once we have that stabilization and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, lenders will start to feel more comfortable. Lenders feeling more comfortable will make spreads compressed. Spreads compressed will make borrowing less expensive. And then that hopefully starts a, a positive feedback loop within the market. I think one of the interesting things we've seen is that in this correction, that is very, very different from prior corrections. And I lived through the SNL crisis in the early 90s, uh, yeah. the, uh, the recession in the early 2000s, the GFC. In those corrections, every product type was moving in the same direction. It was just a matter of to what extent value was going to go down. Today, different product types are performing differently. And, you know, right now we have a, uh, a bright spot in the hotel market. Uh, our retail market here has been battered for years and years and years. It seems like that has stabilized. Rents have stopped going down. Leasing activity is picking up. Investor interest is back. Uh, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have the office sector, which most people feel. And it is important to, to caveat the office sector by saying that new construction Class A office is doing relatively well, but the Class B and C office, most people believe that it's going to be at least another two or three years before there's some stabilization in that sector. So right now, what would a vacancy rate be to say just on the office market in New York? Like, giving a context here in Vancouver pre-pandemic, and we're not a head office city by any stretch of the imagination, and a lot of our land downtown is absorbed by condo developments more so than office developments. You know, we had a very unhealthy, depending on what report you read, we were probably around like two and a half to three and a half vacant percent vacancy rate, which was just super unhealthy for tenants coming in. Landlords could pretty much, you know, put a blank check out there and someone would sign it for them just because the rent was, you know, rents were going up at such staggering paces. Fast forward to today, vacancy rates are probably, depending on if you want to include subleases or not, probably, you know, between 10 and 12% and climbing with it. Where, where's New York at right now? Well, New York's at 18% according to okay. published reports, you know, and that's the, that 18%, depending on this, every company produces a different report in terms of what the, the size 
of the market is at the low end is 400 million feet at the high end it's 500 million feet so at 18% vacancy you have you know 80 90 million feet of empty office space um wow. and again it's important to differentiate between that new construction class A which again doing relatively well um but the uh, the older office stock the B and C smaller low service buildings mid-block, uh, not such great light and air. Uh, you know, vacancy is probably 40 or 50% in those buildings. Is there an opportunity right now for, say, Class B office tenants to move into Class A at a relatively competitive price than maybe where it was, you know, pre-pandemic? Um, not really. If you if you look at true Class A space in that new construction, yeah. you know, a couple of years old, those rents are triple digits all over and and wow. landlords are getting those rents so you know if you look at a typical class b or c building here you may be in the 50 to the 60 dollar a foot range a tertiary okay. buildings now are you know in the 30 to 40 range so you can't go from if you're a, a tenant paying 60 dollars a foot you can't go pay 150 dollars a foot in rent you just can't afford to do yeah. it that so makes sense. I that think makes sense. It's, 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 yeah, it's something where, you know, there has to be a low cost provider uh, because every tenant can't pay triple digit rents. A triple, yeah. you know, class A new construction is going to find its tenants, but we just have such an overhang of vacant space that we really need incentives to uh, do one of two things. One, uh, convert the office space to some alternative use. We have a a, um, a very, very dire situation with our supply of housing. We need new housing desperately, so housing would be a logical conversion. Uh, but the value of these BNC office buildings are getting so low that they're almost trading at land value, even if you add in the cost to demolish the building. So wow. uh, I think if things keep going the way they are, um, at the end of this cycle, we might look back and see that there were more buildings demolished then converted. But uh, there is definitely an overhang of space, and uh, that's something that uh, we need to deal with. What do you think the future of office looks like? Is it a hybrid model? Do we maybe go back to what we had you know, pre-pandemic where employers want people in the office every day? Or is it flight to quality type of thing for buildings where buildings have to offer more amenities so, so tenants can then offer those to their to their staff in order to get them to come in. Where does the what does the office market look like in the future? You think? Yeah, look, I, I think a couple of of fundamental things that I think about work are, are number one to particularly with young people to have folks have their learning curve be relatively steep. You have to be in the ecosystem of an office. I, I think yeah. that. Uh, you could be in a meeting or on a Zoom, uh, you deal with the topic being discussed, and that's all you deal with, and then you sign off and leave the meeting. But I think you could be uh, getting a cup of coffee uh, at the coffee machine, or you could be passing somebody in the hall, or even just washing your hands in the bathroom and overhearing a conversation uh, that will be thought-provoking and or may give you insight into something. So I think you learn as a young person, I think you, you learn almost by osmosis, just by being in the office environment. And so I think for the benefit of young people, and I think young people are the ones who probably 
have been hurt the most by this work from home thing. Their learning curves have been relatively flat, which is not good. And then also for corporate culture, you want people to interact together. Um, yeah. You know, you you want to uh, you want to work with people you like. It's it's hard to like somebody if you never see them. So so yep. Yep. you know totally. you want to uh, you want to be around them. So I think for those two reasons, I think people will get back to using office space in the the more traditional sense. I think that companies might be a little bit more judicious about who they have in the office. You know, maybe maybe you don't need your researchers in the office or maybe you don't need your graphics people in the office. But maybe, you know, maybe a certain percentage of your workforce could work effectively from home. But, you know, for the most part, I think you want the folks who need to be working in a team uh, environment. You want them to be around each other. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. We talk about it on the show all the time about what that office space looks like. I think just from an employer standpoint or a retention standpoint of staff, you got to collaborate. You got to create corporate culture in order to maintain everybody. Because I think it's, it'd be awkward going to the Christmas party and meeting everyone for the first time that you've only talked through video all year. And I think it's hard to probably express the same collaboration efforts through video that you can in person. Right. Nope. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Bob, you talked about retail there a little bit. I mean, from a standpoint, what does prime retail in downtown New York City go for? You talked about office spaces, triple digits, which is probably you know, probably more than double what our prime stuff goes for up here. Maybe some stuff is like, you know, 60 to 70 bucks a foot for the really, really good stuff. There's obviously a lot of incentives to get to those numbers right now. What does prime retail look like in downtown New York if I'm a tenant from a price perspective? Right. Well, I would say if you look at the the really prime, prime corridors of Fifth Avenue in the Plaza District and Madison Avenue in the 60s and 70s, you know, retail rents can be over a thousand dollars a foot. Um, wow. And that's that's not uh, not unusual. We had a, a retail condo at 737 Madison Avenue that Chanel bought and they paid $30,000 a square foot for their retail condo. So at the, at the high end of the market, it can get to get up there. But, um, you know, I think retail rents today are significantly below where they were at their peak. And, yeah. uh, but they have stabilized and that, that stabilization is what's leading to a lot more leasing volume and is what has brought back the invested demand, which is so great to see. You know, we, we, about four months ago, I got a call from an investor who said, Hey, Bob, what retail properties do you have for sale? And I almost fell off my chair. Uh, I'm so surprised <laughs> to get that question because it's been years since anyone asked me that. But I think it's indicative of what's happening within that sector, which has been very positive. For investors that are looking in the marketplace, and obviously it's, it's big budget investors in the New York City market, I would think. What type of cap rate or yield can these investors expect if I'm looking at, say, like a, a good retail building? What type of yield can I look at that for, say, maybe today? And maybe give me an example pre-pandemic or where they were if they're higher or lower at that time. Yeah, well, retail cap rates bounce around very significantly. And I think there are so many factors that affect what the cap rate would be. Is the rent still a legacy rent that is way over market? Uh, is it below market? You know, cap rate is really indicative of what the upside potential of the property is. So today, I think cap rates, if you look at, at all asset classes, you're going you're gonna to use as an, an anchor what your borrowing rate is. And then you may be 
you know, slightly above that or slightly below that, depending on uh, the unique idiosyncrasies of any particular building. So, uh, you know, today, borrowing rates, let's call it on, on average, a 7%. You know, for some asset yep. classes, you may be able to get down in the low sixes or high fives. Some asset classes are in the eights. So it depends, again, on the deal. The asset class is very difficult to generalize, and I, I don't want to generalize, but I'd say you're probably within some kind of collar around the the borrowing rate. Gotcha, gotcha. All this being said, where does Bob Knackle put his money? If you had the funds needed to make an investment today, what asset class are you investing in? Yeah, well, what, what, what I'm telling people, Corey, I, I think that the one of the sectors that is, really, really undervalued and I think has tremendous upside is the land sector in New York. And I say that, again, the the benefit of having been around for a long time. If we look at the very best land sites in Manhattan, and one of the best things about the Manhattan market is that it is an as-of-right zoning jurisdiction. So you don't have to go through an entitlement process. You know exactly what kind of building you can build, how big a building you can build, what shape that building can have. And so if you look at the best land sites in Manhattan over time, the peak of every successive cycle has greatly exceeded the prior peak until now. So I'll take you back to 1986, 87. The best land sites in Manhattan were selling for $125 per buildable foot. Uh, by okay. 97, 98, that got to 350, 06, 07, got to 750, 2015, 16, got to 1100. Wow. And then you know, during 2020, that got down into the 300s. Uh, by early 22, it was up to about 500 again. And now because of the interest rate increases, there's downward pressure being exerted on that sector again. Uh, but I believe that at the peak of the next cycle, you'll see the best land in New York City selling at thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars per buildable foot. Uh, and if I had a billion dollars to deploy, uh, I would buy land, sit on it, you know, demolish the building, sit on the land, wait for the peak of the next cycle, and then probably two x, three x, four x my money. So I'm going to ask you here if you can take out your crystal ball, and we kind of touched base a little bit on this as we've kind of gone here. If we fast forward a year from now and maybe out to five years from now, how does the commercial real estate sector look in New York? Have we recovered? Are we ahead of pace? Where are we going? How does the future look? Yeah, five years from now, I would say I, I think we will will have recovered. And I think that uh, that recovery will be very, very strong. Uh, when the market bounces back, I expect it to, to bounce back significantly. So I I think it'll be interesting to see what things look like. But I think the more interesting thing, because of what we're going through now and this tremendous reset in value that we're going through, I think the interesting thing would be 20 years or 25 years from today to look at the skyline of the city of New York and compare it to what you have have today. I think it's going to look like a vastly different city, mainly because there is such demand or new. Uh, if you look at the the Upper East Side, it has historically been a very stable and valuable neighborhood, particularly west of Third Avenue. So Fifth Avenue to Third Avenue, just east of Central Park, there are many new condo buildings that have been built in that area. 
And a lot of the buyers, everybody thinks, oh, the foreign buyers come in and they buy all these condos. Well, the reality is that a big sector of that buying pool has been folks moving out of older pre-war co-op buildings into brand new uh, condo buildings. And in the same way that the the new construction office sector is doing so well, because people want new space. They want floor-to-ceiling windows. They want uh, no columns. Uh, and new new construction offers that. And I think with values getting as low as they are, I think that uh, you are going to see a tremendous boom in the construction business here. And I think the skyline 20 years from now, 25 years from now, is going to look remarkably different than it looks today. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, I, w- I wish I had billions to, to follow suit there with you because I, I think, I mean, obviously we follow the New York real estate market, like probably a lot of people do in our industry, just because, like I said, it is kind of feels like the epicenter here in North America there. But I was really surprised to hear the values had come off as much as they had. But I, I mean, it's like up here in Vancouver, they haven't made any more land or constraint, similar to probably New York in a lot of ways that, I mean, as long as immigration keeps coming and all that stuff, you might, I'm, I'm a big believer land values are going to continue to kind of just continue to propel upwards cycle after cycle. More and more people come in, they got somewhere they got to live. Yep, Absolutely. Before we let you go here, we have a six-pack of lighthearted questions. We ask all of our guests. We kind of get to know you a little bit more outside of the office. Do you have just a couple more minutes for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead, Carr. The six-pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right. First one up, Bob, when you find the time, favorite vacation spot? Oh, absolutely. Positively. The, the Cayman Islands. Oh, great choice. Great choice. Do you, do, you, do, you get all, do you get over there very often? One of the most beautiful beaches in the world, Seven Mile Beach. And uh, I've been going to Grand Cayman since the mid 80s. And uh, wow. absolutely love it down there. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. Next question up. A book recommendation you'd have for our listeners doesn't necessarily have to be real estate, though. No, I, I would read the trio of books by Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. 10X is easier than 2X. Yeah, Do not yeah. how. And the gap in the game. I mean, brilliant, brilliant stuff. It, it's more about uh, life lessons. Also, I'm a, a big lover of uh, smooth jazz. And so, uh, you know, I love Joe Sample and David Benoit and Dave Koz and David Sanborn and, and those guys. So kind of an eclectic mix of, of music. And then also, uh, you know, I love classical as well. Of all these four seasons, I could listen to on a revolving loop all day long. So uh, very eclectic musical taste. All great choices. All great choices. So it, it's Friday night. The week is done. You've had a couple beverages. Someone gives you a karaoke mic. What song are you singing, Bob? Oh, gosh. You know, Corey, I have to tell you, I've never done karaoke. And probably uh, <laughs> all, all the folks around me are thankful that's never happened. But, you know, I've, uh, I, I've never done karaoke. And I couldn't even imagine what song I would sing. That's that. That's fair. Last last question up here, Bob. Before we let you go, and this is kind of a us as Canadians, we're hockey fans here. 
Do the New York Rangers win the Stanley Cup this year? Uh, you know what? So far, it was a huge disappointment last year. Um, yep. You know, they played so great. They beat Jersey two games in a row in Jersey to start that series, yep. and they wilted like a like a flower in the heat. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're they're off to a great start this year. I tell you, they're young. They have some good veteran leadership, but there are yep. a lot of great teams out there. And yeah, so uh, I love hockey. I've been a Ranger season ticket holder since 1984. And uh, I have three seats. I go to most games with my wife and my 14-year-old daughter, who's a giant hockey fan and, in fact, plays hockey. But awesome. will the Rangers win the Cup this year? As a lifelong diehard Ranger fan, I have to say, Corey, without a doubt, absolutely positively, the Rangers will win the Cup this year. How's that? <laughs> So being a season ticket holder that long, is it fair to say that you saw the Rangers beat the Canucks in the Stanley Cup final in 94? I was not in the building uh, for that particular game, but uh, I absolutely watched it. And uh, I have to tell you, I did have, I will admit, I had tears rolling down my cheeks when the Rangers were skating around the garden ice with with the Cups. Well, tra- traditionally up here in Vancouver, we have tears rolling down our cheeks about the second week of March because our team's off golfing by that point. But this year, we seem like we're <laughs> we're not as bad. We've probably been the best golfers for the past 10 years, I feel like. So hopefully this is the year that we squeak our way into the playoffs come hell or high water. We'll see what happens. Well, I wish you the best of luck <laughs> we, we need it up here it's most years. Bob, how can our guests find out more about what you're doing at JLL and all of that stuff down there? Yeah, sure. Well, I invite everybody, you know, follow me on social media. I'm on, I think, just about every social media platform. So look for me. And uh, also, if you'd like to email me, please feel free to email me at bob.nackle at jll.com. That's bob.knakal at jll.com. You know, I have a a great reading list. I mentioned three of the books that I love. I have about 20 books on a reading list that I'm happy to share with folks. Uh, which I think are great to talk about the things that are so important for people within the real estate industry, namely psychology, persuasion, human behavior, why people do what they do, selling, you know, great, great books that I think have have helped me tremendously. And I think would help you also, if anyone would like a copy of that reading list, you can drop me an email and I'm happy to get it out to you. And, uh, you know, always happy to hear from folks. Well, Bob, thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Like I said, we're very excited to have you on here and to dig more into the commercial real estate realm in New York City. Fantastic, Corey. It was a pleasure being with you today. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Bob Knackle of JLL in New York City. What a great interview. Lots of takeaways. Amazing to hear just the cycles he's been through, what he's seen happen. And I was really, really surprised to hear about the price per buildable of Manhattan development sites. And although they are high, how much they kind of came off. And when we look in Vancouver, obviously, like, you know, our market here is still very, very expensive. But when he talks about the triple digit office lease rates, when he talks about the $1,000 price per foot retail lease rates and the $30,000 per foot acquisition by Chanel, I hate to say it, as expensive as our market is, we don't really hold a candle to what people in New York are paying. And I think when you look at um, you look at Vancouver's office market and there's rates that are probably up in that $50, $60, $70 a foot range, when he talks about class A period is in the triple digits, 
That's a big jump. That means everyone or mostly everyone in some of these larger glass enclosed AAA office buildings are paying over $100 a foot. And then they've got triple net costs on top of that. So, you mean, it's a far stretch from what we see here. And obviously right now we are experiencing higher vacancy rate. Landlords having to be much more incentives in the deal uh, on the commercial real estate side of the office sector there. We still are far behind some of these international markets. And I think when people look in Vancouver, as an example, they're also, you know, international buyers and these could be very large corporations or REITs or institutions. You mean, they're looking at Vancouver, they're looking at New York, they're probably looking at LA, maybe Atlanta. They're looking into the into the, uh, the state of Texas now. They're probably looking at London. So, I mean, when you kind of compare us to that metric there, we aren't nearly as expensive as you might find in New York. Obviously, the population is completely different, but... Nevertheless, we definitely don't hold a candle to what they're seeing over there from a price per foot metric in various asset classes there. We'll leave it there for today because a great episode. We probably run a little bit long with Bob because we didn't. We we're very, very pleased to have him there. But if you are looking to get into the commercial real estate realm, feel free to reach out to us anytime. You can drop me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. Always love hearing from our listeners about the show and talking commercial real estate in general. You can call our Vancouver office anytime, 604 604- 428-5255. Let us know what asset class you're looking for anywhere in the province. We'll put you in touch with the broker that can help you there. As well as you can visit our website, williamwright.ca to sign up for the latest and greatest news. Also, make sure you visit vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. All the episodes live there, both on the residential side and the commercial side. Opportunity to go back over the holidays there. Go back and listen to some great episodes. Get caught back up because I think we have a busy, busy 2024 ahead of us. And we look forward to coming next week, guys, with another great guest. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Subscribe today.